Hi everyone and welcome to the fifth episode of the Tennis Section podcast. We're very excited for our listeners and even new listeners to be joining us today. We've got a lot of topics to cover, a lot of news in the tennis world, a lot of rumours as well. So it'd be good to just go through everything again and just see where we are before before you know Wimbledon starts and now that the grass season has started. Um, as always, I'm joined by my co-host and co-founder of Tennis Section, Andrew. Hey guys, great to be here as usual. I um, hope everyone's recovered from a hectic <laughs> Roland Garros and gearing up for Wimbledon as we are. Yeah, it definitely was a hectic one. I think if you told me at the start of the week, the, the start of the second week, that the results would be what they were, I'd be quite shocked because, you know, it's it's it was not expected to be that way. But, you know, we, we have to give Nadal all of the props in the world for for winning it because to, to win it when even even after the tournament, he said like after his, I think it was his second round match against uh, Corentin Mute, he said he, he couldn't walk. So to be able to actually figure out how he could make his foot work and get through the pain to eventually beat Djokovic, get through, you know, Zverev, even though it, it wasn't fully a win, but, you know, he did win the first set and more likely than not, he would have won the remainder of the match if it had continued. Um, and then obviously, you know, Kasper Ruud, he, he knows him quite well just from training with him at the academy, being part of the academy for the last like four years. Um, he, he made easy work of him. Um, it, it was it was just a great tournament from, from the Dow and, you know, He's uh, 22 and uh, 14 now, so uh, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, totally agreed. And I mean, I, I will admit that I wrote him off um, just before Roland Garros, you know, I mean, foolishly on my part to do that, you know, but just with all the injuries and all the question marks and especially hearing those comments after that second round match, you know, we said from the start in the first podcast, if he's healthy, we think he's going to go all the way, you know, but I had some major doubts about that and everything was against him and even when he we went five with with Felix and uh, I don't know but uh, we we should have known better well I should have known better and I <laughs> definitely won't do it again and yeah. would love to love to say that I'm hoping for a more predictable Wimbledon but with everything that's happening with Wimbledon you know things can still change a lot of things are still up in the air we don't know who's playing we don't know who's gonna pull out we don't know who's gonna be injured you know we don't know what's gonna happen over the next few weeks at these warm-up tournaments you know we don't know if they're gonna be further restrictions to the tournament we don't know if they're gonna ease the restrictions so it's, it's everything is up in the air at the moment so at this stage it's anything goes yeah I definitely you wrote him off Andrew I know that even just from private <laughs> conversations like every time I was saying no oh, look at him you, you kept saying I'm not too sure I'm not too sure and I was just there, like he's 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 going all the way. I said it from the start, and um and uh, yeah, but it was it's crazy to understand the details of the extent of the injury that he's going through. So uh, I was I did yeah, just a bit of to, research. Sorry, sorry, Liam, just a button before you you move on. I don't want everyone to think I'm too crazy, so I didn't write him off completely. I just I just <laughs> I just didn't think I didn't think he would get by Djokovic or um or Alcaraz. That well, he didn't have to get by Alcaraz, yeah. thankfully. I think that would have been yeah. a tough match. Yeah, well, that yeah, that was what I said. I didn't think he was going to lose in the first or second round, guys. I'm not that bad. You can continue listening to us. <laughs> <laughs> no, Andrew, they've already cancelled you and they want a new co-host, all right? They, they've already emailed in to the show. They said, we need someone else to partner up with Liam. Um, right, I'll, I'll, I'll make up for it with my Wimbledon pick. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but I, I, as I was saying, I, I did some research, basically, on the extent of Nadal's injury and, you know, just listening to interviews and doing some, some external research. It's it's really crazy how he was able to basically get through it. I don't know the exact name of the disease that he has, but it, it's basically the most important part of your bone in the uh, your foot. One of the bones there sort of brings together all the rest, all, all the other bones, uh, sort of like a it, it, it's sort of like in the middle, and it, it it it's where it wears down, and the more it wears down, the more it hurts. Um, and apparently in the foot, there are about four nerves that go from down from your ankle to your toes. Um, and one of them goes all the way around your foot. So like, all, like side, out the side of your foot, basically. So it doesn't really have an effect on that specific area, but that's the main nerve, which controls all of like the majority of the pain of the foot. Um, okay. so if you're able to sort of, you know, make that nerve go to bed, you basically don't have any pain in your foot, no matter what. But if you do that, you then can't even use your foot properly. You can't use the muscles in your foot to control your movement and stuff. So um, Nadal didn't do that. He went for the central nerve, uh, which basically goes right over where his um, his injury is. 
and that stopped basically the pain. They just basically injected it, made it fall asleep with like an anesthetic or something for okay. however long that lasts. Um, and it's interesting for from like his post-match interview after the final, he said like long term, this can't be a solution for him because he just doesn't want to have to go through it every time. And I think the most likely solution for him is to get a more permanent uh, sort of ordeal going on where instead of um, having four nerves in the foot, which sort of give the pain receptors back to your brain and all that stuff, he is going to fry, like fry right before um, above the uh, underneath the injury, the, the free nerves, which aren't like the main one, um, which then just, doesn't stop the pain from being there. And obviously like there will be pain, there will still be an injury, but he just won't feel it. And then he'll still be able to move with his foot from the other nerve that sort of controls the muscles as well. That doesn't sound pleasant at all. And will that, (laughs) will that impact his performance or is this a solution for after he's finished playing? No, I didn't, I didn't do the research that you did, obviously. So this, this seems that it, it won't affect his performance because the main reason that his performance is like when we saw him lose to Shapovalov was because he felt so much pain in his foot that, you right. know, there's only so much pain you can go through before you end up like quitting, you know? Um, okay. So I don't think it should affect his performance, but this, this is a, an irreversible decision that, uh, that he is making if he is making this decision. Like he can't then get those nerves back to be working as normal. You know, and and do you think he's gonna go ahead with that? I know he's he's said quite a bit about he's he wants a good quality of life after, and he's gonna want to move around, and he's big into golf and maybe a family and so on. So I mean, do you think he's gonna do this, or do you think the retirement question is gonna come up again before this occurs? I th- I think that if he does this, it's it doesn't really stop him from having that enjoyment of life once he retires, because I think the plan would be. Once he retires, he then has a full-on proper surgery on the foot. Maybe, right? Okay. Maybe I think that there were solutions where they can uh, sort of screw, like input screws into his bones in the foot, which then send blood flow to the injured area, which then helps it recover and sort of heal. Um, but if he does that now, he's going to, you know, be out for like half a year or even yeah, more. You, you know, you, you can't you afford that right now. Yeah, exactly. You, well, not he can't you, afford it, but he wouldn't want to do it right now. There's yeah, so much he, at stake and limited time left, you know, he, he wouldn't want to do it. And you could say he can't afford it just because, you know, he's not getting any younger. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's easy to come back when you are 23 years old, 24 years old, and you've been out for a year. When you're 36 yeah. years old and you're going away for a year, you're coming back as 37 you haven't trained, you know, your body needs to be kept sort of in, in its prime shape to Agreed. be able to make a comeback. So at that, at that age, it, it, it gets tougher and tougher. So I think whilst his playing solution would be the sort of killing of the nerves, those three nerves out of the four um, underneath the injury. And then after he plays, even though those nerves won't be working anymore, he'll probably get some sort of surgery. Yeah, agreed. And plus, he's got Djokovic right behind him. So if he was to take half of the year off, you know, he could come back and find himself tied at the record. Yeah, you know? but I do even so, even surpass, even surpass. Yeah, and I do wonder though why he didn't choose to miss Wimbledon. I know that's still a slight possibility, you know. But I know he won the first two Grand Slams in the year, and is going to want to go for for the the year Grand Slam. But you know, I mean, wouldn't the smarter decision be to skip Wimbledon, maybe do this thing with the nerves now? and then try to be fresh for the U S open, take a few months off. Or what are your thoughts on that? Cause he, think, he will, he will not be favored to win Wimbledon, you know, healthy or not because it's but, not uh, his surface. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think in Wimbledon, obviously he won't be the favorite to win it. Djokovic most likely will be the favorite just because of, you know, it, his game is more suited to a grass court than Rafa's. But I saw a video, I think he was in Barcelona a few days ago and it was a video where he, landed in Barcelona, left the airport, got in a car, walking normally. And then we posted this on our Instagram, by the way. So if you guys yeah. want to check it out at Tennis Section on Instagram, we always post like the latest videos, important news and stuff like that. So, you know, if you want to see the video, it's on our it's on our Instagram. And then afterwards, he got back to the airport, out of the car and he was on crutches. Um, but then again, like five hours later that day, he was at the Rafa Nadal Academy uh, graduation ceremony without crutches. So I think right. he's begun, he's begun this treatment already, this sort of, treatment that we were talking about and it can 
I think he can play Wimbledon. I think they're, t- they're testing it out to see if he will be able to play sustained periods of times, uh, like they're probably training at the Nadal Academy or maybe he's still resting, you know, uh, yeah. um, for a little bit and maybe in a week or a uh, week or probably midway through next week, he'll probably start seeing if he is able to actually play as well as he would like to for the grass court season. But I think, I think he would be there in Wimbledon. I, I, well, I'd like to hope so as a Nadal fan myself. Um, yeah. Agreed. But, and I'm sure yeah, he'll have, yeah, agreed. I'm sure sure he'll have some of the best doctors in the world on his team you know so they must know what they're doing um but just i can't help but wonder if it wouldn't be more realistic and more practical you know to skip wimbledon and make sure he's at 100 percent or as close as he can be for the u.s open rather than take an unnecessary rister in wimbledon and be forced to miss the u.s open which is an event that he has a, a very real and very good chance of winning yeah i mean it's 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 a hard one. I pers- personally, if I was him, I'd probably aim for Wimbledon, just because think, thinking of his mentality, like he just doesn't like to quit. He yeah. doesn't want to quit. Um, and obviously, it, he he knows his limits. So he knows if he isn't going to be able to play well, he pr- or, or be happy or painless and stuff, he's not going to um, he's not going to play. Yeah. True. But then, but then, if he is going to play, we we know that. Well, we we could assume that the treatment's going well. So it's re- it's really up in the air for now. But speaking of Wimbledon, you know, a big big news came out uh, recently that uh, although no ranking points, last year ranking points have been removed. No Russian and Belarusian players allowed at the tournament. The prize money has actually increased this year. Yeah, I heard that and I couldn't believe it. You know, I don't, I don't know if that's an attempt to, you know, coerce the top players from not pulling out. You know, there's been a lot of talk from Osaka and people like that about if they're going to play or not, you know, but I'm, I'm really shocked to hear that with the prize money. To be Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's quite, you know, I, I thought there'd be like a 20, 30% drop in prize money probably, but we're actually up by 7.5% overall for the tournament. Um, for the men's and the women's singles, uh, not not talking about the doubles, but even those, even those, they, they, the percentages or the percentage increase in, in prize money for you know the the men's and, and uh, women's doubles and you know mixed doubles as well is is has increased even more than the percentage of the singles. Um, but yeah, the winner would be getting about two million pounds, um, and then all the way down to the first round would be fifty thousand pounds. So you know. It's 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 still very competitive, very up to date with the prize money in tournaments now in, in Grand Slams nowadays. And it, as you said, Andrew, I think it is definitely a way to coerce players back into the tournaments who potentially were saying they weren't going to play. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, the ranking points are as great as they can be. But at the end of the day, when you look at your bank account, <laughs> you don't see ranking yeah. points, you see the check. Well, maybe that's why Rafa's pushing to play Wimbledon because we all know he could use the money. You know, he's maybe. probably he's probably struggling at the moment. And <laughs> could he... yeah, no, he might he might be paying his doctors a bit too much. Uh, true. Oh, yeah, no, it's, but, it's... But, but good good to see that though. I mean, I I thought that they would have been hit very hard with sponsors pulling out and um, with this whole Russian and Belarusian um, ban and top players talking about pulling out. But good to see that they've still. Doing one thing right, at least in my opinion. This is only my opinion, and I think they've gone a lot wrong um, in terms of the points and, and banning the players and so on. But again, I, I'm not privy to everything that's been discussed, and I don't know everything. But you know, at least they can do this, and I'm glad to see it, as you said, filter down to the the earlier rounds into the doubles, so everyone can benefit. It's not just the guys at the top, and I, I really mm. like to see that. Yeah, no, exactly. As, as we were saying a few podcasts ago, you know, reducing prize money in a tournament really affects the lower ranked players more than anyone. Absolutely. Those are the people who try and make their livelihood out of just even making these big, a, a player qualifying, you know, a player ranked 150 in the world or even a hundred, just being able to qualify for one of these big tournaments is already life-changing money. You know, no, they, they, it's ce- fun, they it's celebrate their next couple of years. Of, exactly. Of they they, you know? they celebrate just qualifying for the tournament. They, they don't care if they lose in the opening round. They just want to be able to get into the tournament, which really helps them out. But, you know, speaking of, you know, this prize money increase i think it's also a very big pr thing for the lta uh because they don't want to have a situation where they ban russian and belarusian players they get stripped of points 
and then they pay people less because it's just continuously bad PR, I think, for them, um, which, you know, helps them sort of keep the players back in. But it'll be interesting to see next year if the prize money stays the same or it reduces and then what the situation is like with the Russian and Belarusian players. Because I think in the midst of what is going on in the world right now, there are some people who say, yeah, we should not let these players play. And then there are other people who say, no, it's not fair. It's not it's not their fault what's going on. Um, but okay. if this happens again next year, it's going to be a very tough situation for the ATP tour to, to, to handle. Yeah, agreed. And to be honest, I'm very surprised that the ATP and the other top players have not put more pressure on Wimbledon. You know, again, this is my opinion, and I don't know what's been going on in all the meetings, which I'm sure they've been having. You know, we've seen a lot of the top players openly come out and say that they think that the Russians and so on can should be able to compete, and it's not fair that they can't. And I'm sure they're all very unhappy about not getting any points, you know, especially guys like Djokovic and, and well, not Zverev anymore, but the guys who have a lot at stake, mainly points wise, you know, those guys don't compete as much for the money anymore as some of the lower ranked players, but they're competing for the points in the rankings. But I really would have loved to see some of those guys take a stand, you know, like say, I'm not playing unless this happens or this happens or this happens, you know, and really put some pressure. I don't know if they've done it um, behind the scenes and I know that they have to be very careful what they say with their sponsors and, and their them being from different countries and ambassadors for their countries, you know, but I, I really was hoping to see that, you know, if, if a lot of the top 10 players in the world say, if Medvedev can't play, if Rublev can't play, if Azarenka can't play, I'm not playing unless we have a meeting and we, we come up with something, you know, maybe we meet in the middle, maybe some kind of compromise and maybe it still will happen, but it's getting closer and closer. So I don't think so. And it's, it's, it's difficult, you know, I mean, they don't want all these distractions right before a Grand Slam. But I don't know, I was just hoping for this to go down a different way, I suppose. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think the, the longer this goes on without answers, the less and less likely it is that we're going to see one of those players at Wimbledon. But that, that, that makes, you know, these, these warm-up tournaments, which what we would usually call warm-up tournaments, extremely valuable for every single player, realistically, because they, they know they're not going to get any points at Wimbledon. They know they're losing their points from last year. So these tournaments here, such as like this week, Stuttgart and uh, Libema, or however you say it, I, you know, I, I, I don't want someone Dutch messaging yeah. me, telling me off for of my pronunciation. <laughs> but you know, you see, you see like big name players in these tournaments, and they're definitely going to go uh, go out and play for the best for the points. Yeah, you told me this morning, uh, Berrettini. No matter what he does in these next couple of tournaments, he's going to drop outside the top twenty even though he's still in the top 10. Um, we all know that he got to the final last year at Wimbledon. He's going to lose all those points. Another thing that I think is ridiculous, you know, I, I do think it's ridiculous that they're removing the points from the tournament itself and they're making you lose the, the points that you gained last year. You know, so there are going to be some major swings in the rankings here. I saw Federer is going to drop out of the rankings completely after Wimbledon is finished. Yeah. You know, it's, I, I, I don't know again, but it doesn't seem like they've thought all this through. You know, like we might get some random people just popping into the top 50. We might get top 10 players as we, ha as we do with um, Berrettini falling out of the top 20. You know, I, be I, mean? I, be I, be I believe I believe Berrettini will stay in the top 20, maybe the low top 20. I'm not ah, too okay. sure exactly the numbers. But yeah, even, even though he's losing about a quarter of his points, even more, more than a quarter of his points just because of this. And he can't get himself back in there. Um, for a, for a while, you would think, which is which is just crazy. Um, but you know, he might take it as a as a piece of motivation to tune his game up sooner rather than later, and go all out. But even, these other players, you know, go all out for the American hardcore swing after Wimbledon. Agreed, and you can't imagine Djokovic is happy about this at all. You know, <laughs> um, he's losing a whole bunch of points, and he's very driven by rankings and points, as we all know, titles. You yeah. know, so even if he wins Wimbledon, he's still going to drop in points, especially after winning last year. I mean, if he wins, he'll it, unbelievable that you can win your win and defend your points technically, but then you're still going to lose them, you know, and <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. And it's 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 definitely a crazy situation. But, you know, just looking at some of the results that are going on right now, um, as as we are filming or recording this podcast, Andy Murray actually uh, has taken the first set off of uh, Stefano Tsitsipas. 
Well, fantastic. Um, and I see he's Stuttgart. up three two, three two in the second. Yeah, it's that's that, that you know we like Titi Pass as a player, and he's a, he's a great great player, great talent. But it's always great to see someone like Andy Murray just be able to compete with these guys still. Dark it's, horse for Wimbledon, do you think? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> not a, not a, not a, not a totally serious question, but <laughs> I mean, it, dep- it has to be a good draw for him, you know. You, yeah, it, it has to be a good draw. L- last year, I believe he lost to Shapovalov, correct? I think um, so. Yeah, it it really is dependent on who he faces and how he's feeling on the day. Because I was even watching an interview with him, and uh, well, not not the, the the he used to be the goalkeeper for Watford this season, but now that uh, the season's over, he's he's not on the oh, contract that, anymore. Is that Ben Foster? You mean? Yes, Ben Foster. Ah, he, okay. he had an interview with Andy Murray, and Andy was saying like nowadays it, he needs sort of like a day in between a match to feel back to his best. So when he's playing back to back days, um, especially if he plays like a late night match. It really hurts him physically, but he he still can handle it. But it'll be interesting to see, you know, how he is at Wimbledon. I'd, I'd love to see. I'd love to see him do well. I'd love to see him even just get to like the latter stages of the first week, if not the start of the second week, to to be in the mix of you know the last eight or sixteen players. But it's always tough after having a metal hip realistically you know it's not it's not the same feeling that you usually have but as we know with these guys these big four it's it's expect the unexpected that's all i have to say yeah i agree and i mean he's clearly still got the game you know we've seen a couple big rap matches and big results from him recently you know but i i really don't think he can sustain that over five sets over two weeks you know sad to say but yeah as you said hopefully he gets a good draw and he can stick around to the second week and who knows he clearly enjoys playing there he's playing at home he's won more than one title there already with the Wimbledon in the Olympics. So yeah, who yeah. knows? Anything can happen. I wouldn't be surprised if he wins. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to see, I'd love to see Andy Murray win, but I'd love to see Nadal win it more. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd love to see him beat Djokovic Murray. Let's, let's put that out there. He can beat Djokovic in the first round and then lose Nadal or, or Alcaraz or one of our guys after. Listen, listen, Andrew, <laughs> you're forgetting. We have, we have Djokovic fans listening to the podcast. And they're going to come for you, okay? <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. You can handle it. I'm, I'm, I'm welcome to it. <laughs> no, it, it, uh, I, w- I was kind of sad, to be honest. I think it was in Madrid where we, we were going to see a Djokovic-Murray uh, match, but eventually Murray couldn't, um, couldn't play before the match started, which, which was a shame. It would have been great to see how those two compete against each other, especially because Djokovic wasn't as at the level he was in Rome or, or Roland Garros when he was in Madrid. So yeah. it was, it was, it was, int- it would have been an interesting match. Um, but yeah, that, that's basically most of the stuff that's going on right now in the tennis world. You know, we've, dis- we've discussed the Dow winning Roland Garros, the extent of his foot injury, the possible solutions to it and how we expect things to go. You know, Andrew, as Andrew said, he expects him more likely to take Wimbledon off and focus on getting back in the hard court season at his best. I see it the other way around. Um, Wimbledon prize money staying high and then some, early grass court tournaments where the players are really trying to play their best. Um, but anything else on the grass court tournaments before we move on to the Q&A section, Andrew? Uh, not really, but before we go on, um, can we, or can you give us our, your early Wimbledon picks? Like, who do you, who uh, do you think are the, the, maybe maybe give us three or four favorites for the title, a couple of dart horses, perhaps? All right, you're putting me on the spot here, Andrew. Uh, <laughs> I think... More, more fun that way. Uh, yeah, but the, the the big the big answer to this question evolves around the rankings and the seedings of players at Wimbledon. Obviously, Medvedev's not playing. Zverev isn't going to play. He just had surgery, unfortunately. You know, we wish we wish him all the best and hope he recovers sooner rather than later. Um, so Nadal and Djokovic are most likely going to be one and two seeded, um, which puts which puts you know it's a great draw for both players because you'd rather meet them you'd rather meet that person in the final than not in the final. You know. Because you'd rather get to the final um, than than lose in a quarterfinal match against that person. You'd rather lose to them in the final than anything else. Uh, so they'll they'll be on opposite sides of the draw for the first time in a long time uh, in a slam, and that definitely helps Nadal if he's at his best. I think he can definitely. I don't I don't see any player hurting Nadal on on grass other than Djokovic at the moment if he's at his best. So what about, what about Dustin Brown? Is he in these days? 
<laughs> just a joke, guys. But <laughs> no, I you mean, never know. He, he has been known to lose a couple shocking early round Wimbledon, you know. So, I mean, if he if but, he meets like a, uh, a Nick Kyrgios, you never know. Yeah, um, yeah, true. It's it's always tough, but I think I think if Rafa is physically fine, he should be able to make the final if he's not in the same side of the draw as Novak. But there can definitely be some dark horses in there, you know. You, you asked got, me to give you I've five got two, names. I've got two dark horses that I'll give after yours. Okay, okay. Maybe you, the same as, as yours, but we'll see. You told me to give you five names. I'll give you Nadal Djokovic because I think that's what that's going to be the final. Well, well okay. I'd like to. I'd like to hope that's the final. And who's um, your winner? If that happens, who's your winner? Probably Djokovic. Think, think with think with your brain. Okay. As, as... Yeah, pro- probably. <laughs> probably... <laughs> yeah, no, I I agree. I, I agree think Djokovic. I, I unfortunately it's. Actually, I don't want that to be the final because I'm going to be disappointed if, if Nadal loses in that final. <laughs> so I, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to actually. True. I think, I think Berrettini has a point to prove. Every time he's come back from a sort of injury or setback, he's always come back better. He's always yeah. come back firing. So I think he's definitely got a point to prove. He knows he can play great in grass court conditions. He has the game for it. So he's definitely a dark horse, even though he was the finalist last year. Um, and then you know Shapovalov did great last year. He 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 has the game that suits. It. He has the big serve, the big forehand, the big backhand. It's just the mentality that really scares me off sometimes when when I see him play. Does he have the mental strength to go toe to toe with the best at all times? Um, but we saw last year he made the semifinals, so who knows? So I don't know. Herkax, Hubert Herkax. There you go. That's it. Hubert Herkax, Matteo Berrettini, and Denis Shapovalov are my three dark horses. I, I think, you know, as okay. Berrettini and Herkax, similar level on, in terms of big surf, big forehand. Um, Herkax got a better backhand and more consistent game overall. Berrettini's Agreed. got more firepower. Then Shapovalov, just that flamboyance that he has can really shock opponents at times. I agree. Um, did you say Berrettini was a dark horse or one of the favorites for the title? Dark horse, I'd say, correct? I'd say dark horse. I'd say dark horse. Right. Well, I'd, I'd more consider... I can agree with that just because of the injury and so on, but I'd more consider him a, a favorite for the title. You know, I'd consider mm-hmm. him above Sitsipas and, and those guys, you know, um, oh, just yeah, because yeah, he's gone yeah. to the final and, and so on. But yeah, I don't think that Sitsipas is in contention in, off for the title at all. Yeah, no, agreed. Well, my three dark horses, I said two, but I, I'll add her catch. I agree with that one for sure. He did... It was the semis last year, I believe, wasn't it? I believe uh, Wimbledon. so. He I did well, whatever it was. Even quarterfinals or the semis. Yeah, I think it was the semis for some reason. Um, I'm mm-hmm. going to go with Nick Kyrgios again. You know, he loves grass. You know, I mean, this is his opportunity maybe to, to make some noise. Potentially no Nadal. Um, some of the top players are, are out, you know, Rublev and Medvedev. You know, I mean, if, if he ever was going to do well at a slam and if he was ever motivated to do well at a slam other than the Australian Open, it would be here. You know, he, he loves it. Uh, you know, if we if we get him serious for two weeks, you never know. And my other one is Chilich. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, he's he just had a fantastic French Open. He seems to be, you know, renewed. And, you know, if he recovers from the French Open in time to perform well on the grass, you know, he's been to a Wimbledon final before, you know, big serve, good grass court game. So I, I don't think he can win it. But I said that at the French Open before the French Open. You know, I would never <laughs> have dreamed that he was going to be in the semis, you know, so... I don't know. This is most wide open it's been in years. So, but I still agree with you. I do think that Djokovic is going to win. I don't see anyone stopping him here. You know, this is, um, he's the best grass court player in this tournament, you know, by, by a mile, not saying he's a grass court player, but I mean, without Federer in the draw, you know, he is the best grass court player in the world, in my opinion, you know, and he's going to be very hungry and very motivated after seeing Nadal win the French. So I, I think we see a, a Djokovic, I think he's going to dominate these two weeks here at Wimbledon. I, I wouldn't be shocked. You know, it's it's always tough when you see a, a fellow rival and such a close competitor um, win two slams, which you think you were best placed to win. You know, he didn't he didn't have the chance to be in in Australia, but you know he would have backed himself to win the tournament if he was. And then he obviously got beaten by Rafa in, in, at the French, but he would have probably thought he would have won that match before the match even started. So, yeah, he's definitely going to go all out. I, li- I like your picks. I like the Chilich pick. I didn't think of Chilich, actually, which, which you know, it's 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 crazy because Chilich has a, an amazing week at the French Open, gets into the second week, you know, puts a valiant effort forward, but then it, it's not talked about too much anymore. You know, people people quickly forget. So 
thank you for reminding us about that, Andrew. I, I completely forgot about that. Um, but yeah, uh, now guys, let's just move on to the uh, uh, to the questions that we got in through the Instagram. Obviously, every every week before we do the podcast, we put out a, a story on our Instagram where we ask you guys for questions. We love the uh, we love the questions you guys sent in. So make sure to check our stories and just send in any thought, even just thoughts. If it's not a question, send us your thoughts and your opinions and we'll definitely discuss them on the podcast. It, it always makes it better when it's more interactive. So we appreciate that. As I said earlier, at Tennis Section on Instagram, if you don't follow us already. And yeah, let's get into it. Okay, so before we get into the questions, Liam, we just got a couple of things. Um, did some fact checking and we were correct in her catch reaching the semis last year. He beat Federer in the quarters um, before okay. reaching the semis. And then also I, I did briefly check the odds for Wimbledon and Alcaraz is the second favorite, which is insane to me. So Djokovic is the big favorite, heavy, heavy, heavy favorite, mm-hmm. odds-wise. Um, they've got Alcaraz well above Nadal at three. And I think, I mean, I'm a huge Alcaraz fan, and so are you, and, and we're big Alcaraz guys at tennis section, but I think the hype is just getting out of control. You know, and I I'm I was riding that hype train all year and going into clay season, but I mean this this is really getting out of hand now. You know, he's he's played what maybe three grass court tournaments in his entire life. We haven't seen him this season yet, this grass court season yet, and you're going to put him above Nadal, <laughs> you know, yeah, above think, Nadal, Berrettini. That's a, that's a very bold <laughs> predictions from the, the the bookies. It's it's you know he's a great player. He has great weapons in his game, but you have to always remember that grass is a completely different surface than clay or hard. It's it's much lower, much flatter, faster. It's very hard to play at your best as a clay quarter, mainly on on grass. I'm not saying Alcaraz is just a clay quarter. We've seen the incredible success he's had on hard courts as well. But as you said, the limited amount of time he's had on grass is 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 not helping him. I think he's played. I think he's played eight matches. Um, if what I'm seeing online is correct, he's 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 got a six and two record on grass, which is pretty decent, you know. But mm-hmm. I mean, come on, you know. And I I do think he has a a game that's well suited for grass, you know. But he needs some experience under his belt, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, he can volley, he can serve, he's got the whole package, you know. He's not a traditional clay court or even a traditional hard court player, you know. He's very happy coming into the net and mixing it up. He's got a good slice, you know. So I wouldn't be surprised if he wins a Wimbledon title in his career. You know, but no way he should be the second favorite here. I'd maybe put him at number four or five. Yeah, I think I'd put yeah, yeah. I put Djokovic and Rafa comfortably above him, and and maybe even a Berrettini. You know, and Alcaraz. I mean, I, I I'd still put him above Sitsipas and those other more experienced guys for sure. You know, and I know there's going to be a lot of hype and a lot of people betting on him, but two is crazy. They'd make yeah. the better the the betting companies would make a lot more money, I think, if they <laughs> they gave some better odds on him. I don't think anyone listening to the podcast wants the betting companies to make more money, Andrew. Uh, <laughs> very, very true. Myself included. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I don't think you should be number two favorite in terms of, you know, the odds, but it'll be interesting to see how he fares. He, I believe in 2019, he was, uh, you know, training with Federer at Wimbledon. So he was helping Federer prepare his game uh, for, for grass, which, which, was, which would have, must have been a great learning experience for him. But remember, that was three years ago. So it's definitely not the same sort of game style he has now. He might have to adapt his game style to, to grass and sort of figure out what works best for him now, which isn't always the best thing to do in such a short period of time, such as a grass season, which only lasts like a month. But um, great. And before we move on, sorry, last thing, who, who is your pick for the women? Just so we can touch briefly on the women before we move on. For the women, that's always hard. I think uh, I think Halep has a very good chance. You know, yeah, yep. she, she's she's very good on grass. And I've been looking at videos of her training and preparing, like really working on her slice serve, um, yep. which on, on grass just kills the with ball. Her, you know, with her new with her new coach. Yeah. With, with Patrick Moratoglu. Yeah. Uh, so I think she has a great chance. Other than that, it'd be interesting. Obviously, you can't talk about it without not talking about Zviatek. So um, Zviatek, you know, people yeah. people will get at me for the pronunciation. I'm sorry, guys, uh, but <laughs> I, I think uh, yeah. I mean, what is it now? 35 matches in a row. She's won. She's won like yeah. five tournaments in a row this year or something. Yeah, agreed. So hard to hard to bet against your picks. I I do like those two, Halep for mm-hmm. sure, former champion. But I'm gonna go with a. Uh, Bit of a dark horse, if you can call her that now. I'm going to pick Coco Goff for the champion oh, wow. this year. 
Wow. Yep. Okay. Yep. I'm. I. I don't know if I love the pick, but you know, I think she's got a good shot. I like her game. She's done well at Wimbledon before. You know, and there is with Barty out. You know, there is no clear cut favorite. You know, there's a clear cut clear cut favorite in the men with Djokovic. You know what? I, I see the women's field wide open, you know, and we've seen anything happening, anything goes in the WTA tour over the past few years in terms of new champions and, and surprise packages winning titles, you know? So yeah. I, I think, I mean, she, she has to be considered one of the favorites, certainly, you know, and I'm going to pick her for the title. Oh, hundred percent. That, that's it. So I might look like a genius or like an idiot. Hopefully it's the genius part, but <laughs> we'll, we'll see in a, we'll see in a few weeks. I mean, I mean, even before the tournament starts, I don't think anyone can say it's a bad pick just because of the fact that she made the French Open final. You know, she has some form. But in the WTA side of things, it's always hard to predict things. The only person we've been able to predict correctly for a long time has been eager. So it'll it'll be interesting to see. I'll definitely be... I'll, I'll be so happy if Coco wins, you know, Wimbledon. It, I think it's a tournament, which means loads to her just because it was her breakthrough tournament. First of all, with, you know, if a player is able to win their breakthrough tournament, they, it has a lot of sentimental value attached to it. So it'll be, uh, I'll, I'll be very intrigued to see what happens there. And touching on, on what you said just now, you know, where they had their first breakthrough and if they can win that tournament, remember this tournament is where Raducanu had her big break, you know, um, was it the quarterfinals? I think she reached last year as a wild card mm. if i'm not mistaken you I know and, so, yeah. yeah and even though she's been in pretty don't like using the word terrible but she's in she's been in terrible form since she won that us open title you know i mean playing at home has a decent grass court game you know um feeds off the crowd i don't think she can win but hopefully this is a tournament where she can regain some form if she's able to play we saw her pull up with an injury a little while ago um but according to the latest report she's hopeful that she can return in 2 weeks or actually like a week and a half. So we're fingers crossed for her. You know, I mean, I, I'm a fan of hers, you know, she hasn't been playing very well, but I do like her game. You know, I like her personality and I, I do think she has a bright future, even though she's been in, in rough form lately. So hopefully Wimbledon at home is the tournament that brings her back up to the top of the charts where I think she belongs. Yeah. We'd, we'd love to see that. You know, it's, it, it's interesting. It's always tough for, for these young players. When when Serena won her first slam, I don't think she won her, her second slam two, until two years later. Same for Djokovic. He won his first slam in 2008. He didn't win his ne- next slam until 2011. So these players are young. They're, they're sort of still developing their game style. We have to give them time. But, you know, we also have to take into account that there's been so much sort of hype around her which it's so hard to live up live up to nowadays. But yeah, no, so all, all of this discussion like beforehand was was really feeding into one of the questions that we had, with, which was moving back to Alcaraz, obviously. Um, how many slams do you think Alcaraz is going to win? Do you think it's going to be more than five? I, I think so. I mean, always hard to tell, but I, I think this guy is the real deal and I think he's going to be around for a very long time. And I if he stays healthy and I, I don't, I can't imagine a world where he doesn't win at least five to tell you the truth. Obviously things mm-hmm. can change. You know, we could get some more youngsters coming up, you know, because it's going to be difficult for him to win a slam in the next couple of years with Djokovic and Nadal still around, you know, and we may see like a top junior um, emerging over the next two years, but I'm definitely going to go with the over there on the five slams. <laughs> yeah. I, I completely agree with you. I think it would be an under underwhelming career if he doesn't win more than five slams because the 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 game style that he has is is so good it's like a, it's like a mix of all the big three together you know he has he has every like he has great aspects from each of them he has the he has the rafa forehand he has the djokovic backhand he has the sort of mentality of like a like a rafa from all of them really the mentality you could say it's a mix of all of them he's yeah got no the i agree work of a federer so he's he, he he has he has the game to play at that level for a very long time it's just you hope that there's not issues such as injuries or like you said like other players coming in just destroying him yeah i agree and i mean i've said this before in the podcast but i mean it really does seem like his coaches studied the big three you know and and built him and like almost designed him like around them you know because i I don't see a weakness you know that his weakness is what is it like you know maybe maybe but you know he's got he's got a lot of pop on his serve he's got a good kick serve as well it's just maybe the the consistency of the serve i like to see the the first serve percentage a bit higher especially in big moments because he always seems to miss his first serve in in tight points 
you know, he usually can back it up with a second serve in the game that he has, you know, but I'd, I'd like to see him getting a lot more free points in the serve and not struggling to, to win games. You know, we've seen Nadal work on that very hard towards the end of his career, you know, getting those free points on the serve, which Alcaraz doesn't seem to get yet, you know, but he, I don't see a weakness. I, I just see him getting better and better. And it's, it's pretty scary to me that he's, he's only 19. Yeah. It's, it's definitely going to be a great career, hopefully, and we'll enjoy watching it all the way through. Um, but moving on to a, to another question, we sort of answered a few questions already just throughout the podcast. We had one question that said Wimbledon predictions, most controversial Wimbledon prediction. You know, you said Chilich. I said, well, we, we, we both said, you know, it'd be great to see Andy Murray go far. So that's, you know, some, some may say like, what are you guys talking about? Um, and another question was, will there ever be a generation as good as the big three slash big four? Um, I doubt it. I mean, this, this, this is kind of incredible what we're seeing now, or what we've witnessed over the last 15 years. You know, I mean, the three best players in the world in history, in my opinion, all played at the same time, you know, and that's unprecedented in any sport. I can't think of any other sport where even two of them, maybe we see it in football now with, with Messi and Ronaldo, mm -hmm. you know, but to have three is insane. I don't think there's anyone who can argue that Rafa, Novak and, and Roger are not the three best players of all time. I don't, I mean, you can you can have your order and you can have your favorite, you know. But you you're crazy, in my opinion, if if you think someone else other than one of those three is the, is the greatest ever. Yeah, yeah, it's you it's know, not and, and Murray the debate. Yeah, and Murray to, to have Murray as the fourth best of this generation, you know, in any other generation he would have won twenty slams, you know, and he would have been number one in the world for years and years. You know, I feel sorry for him, you know, because yeah. he's he's got the game to have won so many slams. If he played a generation before, a generation after. You know, he would dominate, you know, but for Andy Murray, someone of his quality to be number four, a clear cut number four is is ridiculous. We've, we've got a good generation now. We've got Paul Garoon and Alcaraz, obviously, Sinner, Gaston, those guys, Musetti. You know, it's, it's one of the most exciting generations we've had for a long time. You know, I'm, I'm hoping I'm expecting them to surpass the, the Sitsipas, Zverev, that kind of generation that that kind of had a rough go at it, you know, because of when they came about, you know, they came about right in Federer and Nadal Djokovic's prime. Mm. You know? so, so it's hard to bypass them, you know. I mean, that would have been a fantastic generation without the big three, but I, I don't see it happening. Maybe we might get someone years on that might break Rafa's record. Who knows? You know, doubtful, you know, um, but I don't see it's gonna anything's going to come close to this big three. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think it's been the golden generation of tennis and you know, it's not like in football where you have a team of 11 players, just the starting team, and then you have, you know, 10 to even more players still in the team, but not playing all the time. You have you have millions of football players in the world. In basketball, you have so many basketball players in the league or even in college and stuff like that. In tennis, it's one person at one time. So it's harder to have the best players in the same generations, you know? And the yeah. fact that we had all three of them at the same time, amazing. And yeah, as you said, you, you do have to feel for, for Andy, but the, the future generations are looking good and there are, there is some promising talent out there that can definitely, you know, not obviously recreate what these guys did, but definitely write a story of their own and, you know, create these amazing storylines and careers that, that, that they would like to create, which then moves into another question that we have. And I know you love this question, Andrew, because <laughs> it's right, it's right up your alley. Has Yannick Sinner got the potential to be world number one? Yes. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, no, that's, no, that's no debate. No, debate. <laughs> no. no, that's that's my wish, obviously. And I, but I, I do think so. I, I am serious with my answer there. I do think so. I mean, obviously, Alcaraz complicates things, to be honest. Um, he's he's a bit of a distraction. <laughs> I um, in our in our goal of number one, but I, in, in, in our goal, yeah. okay, so <laughs> in our goal, yeah, no, the, uh, the... no ab absolutely. He doesn't know it yet, but I'm part of the team, and <laughs> <laughs> but I, I am expecting those two to be the next, you know, big two. Um, you know, maybe Holgerun has something to say about that. I mean, but that's that's a potential big three. Um, but I, I do think he has all the tools. You know, he's done well on clay. Um, he's he's very good on the hard courts. You know, with a little more experience, he, he certainly has the game to do it. Number yeah. one is, is always a bit of a stretch to, to call on anyone. You know, we're calling it for Alcaraz because that seems like a sure thing. But I wouldn't be surprised for Sinner to have a couple of weeks here and there when Alcaraz is, is struggling. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a few years ago when Sinner first burst onto the scene, everyone's saying future world number one, future world number one. It's, it, as you said, it's definitely hard harder for him because of Alcaraz. 
and you just never know when there's going to be another young talent that comes out and just sweeps the, the floor with, with whoever is playing at the moment. So it will be interesting, but I am sure that with his continuous improvement, he can get there. And once the big three are out and, you know, the, the floor is more open to being number one in the world and, you know, top two in the world, it's definitely going to be uh, interesting to see who takes the reins and, and who was able to, you know, get the more the most weeks on, on, on their career sheet. Um, Agreed. And I do think, sorry, that, um, you know, Sitsipas, Varev and Medvedev, that generation is still young enough that when Nadal and Djokovic finally call it quits, whenever that is, you know, I think Nadal maybe has, what, what is it that we said, maybe two years max? Yeah. Jok- Djokovic, Djokovic maybe four. You know, I mean, as long as he wants to really um, with his fitness and, and desire to, to break the record. But, you know, those guys are still young enough. So if Alcaraz and Sinner is, is not fully ready to, to take that number one throne yet, you know, those guys are certainly still going to be there. You know, Medvedev is number one right now. So who's to say he's not going to be there at, in three years? But I mean, the, the smart projection, the smart train of thought would be to, to predict to Alcaraz, Sinner, Holgerun battle for number one over the next 10 years, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. I think, I think, I'm afraid that like the Titi passes and uh, well, maybe not like the Zverevs or Medvedev, but I'm afraid like Titi Pass is going to get into a sort of situation where he ends up being like a Dimitrov or something, you know? Career number I'm, I'm, three, four. Yeah, I'm afraid yeah. I'm afraid that's going to be a situation. Just speaking of Titi Pass, you know, he just lost Andy Murray right now, you know, seven, six, six, three, quarterfinals in uh, Stuttgart. So the, wow. the boss open. Um yeah, you know, if if that was a, a you know, I think Murray, I think Andy Murray heard our podcast and was upset he, that we didn't pick him as a dark horse. So he, I think, uh, <laughs> I think he's been he's been listening in. You know, during the change events, he had his he had his headphones in and he was like, "What the hell are Andrew and Liam talking about? These guys don't know nothing." Chillich, Chillich over me. Come on, guys. Yeah, man. Curious. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there, there was that interesting. Uh, uh, take from Kyrgios where he's when he met Andy Murray and Wimbledon I can't remember what year he said he played FIFA from the moment he woke up until about an hour before the match um, <laughs> and then he got absolutely destroyed and on, on court and I'm just like you know if Kyrgios really put his, ta- his his mind to it and focused on on his game in the big moments imagine what he could have already achieved by now um agreed but yeah so, as going back to Tsitsipas I think it's it's really important for him to win a slam sooner rather than later because it's getting to a point where he has the game, he has the talent, but in the big, big, big moments, I haven't seen him go far enough in the slams. Yeah. And he must be wondering what's going on. Like, why does he get such bad luck? You know, because I'm sure he's been waiting for the past few years for, for Nadal and Djokovic to slow down when that's finally starting to happen. Or so we thought, you know, he's got these new kids, (laughs) Alcaraz and Sinner (laughs) taking over, you know, so he must be cursing right now. He can't be happy at all. But I agree with you, you know, he, he's, he needs to do it sooner rather than later. And if he does it soon, you know, maybe that will give him the confidence to do more. But yeah, and as the years go on and on, I agree with you, lesser and lesser his chances are of winning a slam. You know, he's got to do it now, get that breakthrough and maybe be around at the end, you know. But I, I, I like that Dimitrov comparison, you know, like a, I, I don't like saying career number three or four because that kind of diminishes what he's done. He's had a great career, but he's like in that kind of category with like Dimitrov, um, Kini Shikori and, and those kind of guys who are always knocking at the door of number one but could never really break through and win a slam you know so I, I, I do think that's the most likely outcome unfortunately because even even as Zverev and, and Medvedev winning another one I think are more likely outcomes than Tsitsipas winning his yeah and, and, and just to go on to like the last question of the day I think this question we've already answered somewhat um, but you know just to put it out on plain paper so that one day if we're right we bring it back out and if we're wrong we hide it away forever and, you know, we, we just say, oh, we were, we were correct or, or just never talk about it again. Um, which two players are going to be the best after Djokovic and Nadal? So who are going to be the best two players in the next era? Yeah, no, I think we answered that already with all the talk about um, Alcaraz. I do think that Medvedev is still young enough to be considered the next era. You know, so I do think he's going to be around for a while. So, I mean, I'd, I'd go with him, Alcaraz. There's always Sinner, there's Holgerun, that kind of generation. I, I'd I'd put Sitsipas on the outside of that group at the moment until he can convince me otherwise. But other than those, that big two at the moment, I think is clearly Carlos Alcaraz is the third best player in the world. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think it's I think it's going to be between a Medvedev, Zverev, and an Alcaraz for now. 
then you could probably get like a Sinner and a Holgaroon and like a, you know, a, even a Felix in there. But it's 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 going to be very tight, I think, at the top. It's going to be one week someone's going to be number one, one week's going to it's going to be another person. You know, it's 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 going to be like before Federer came around. You know. Yeah, agreed. Totally agree. So yeah, that that's basically all of the questions that we had from you guys, and we really appreciate the support that you guys give us on Instagram. Our YouTube channel is growing. Uh, just you know, pe- people are really engaging with the podcast, which is, is which is amazing to see. And if you're a new listener, you know, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram, message us, or even email us at contacttennissection at gmail.com, where we we will answer your email. We'll go through stuff with you if you want to topics you want us to discuss, questions you want us to answer, or just any questions you might have for us. You know, about the tennis section itself. Uh, we, we'll always hear. We're always here to to help and sort of you know be part of the tennis community with you guys um but yeah any final thoughts before we close out the podcast andrew uh no that's it uh, just remember my picks for wimbledon uh coco goff and uh djokovic um so i'm redeeming myself from my french open doubt nadal doubting um so yeah um if coco wins i'll be on here bragging about how smart i am but you probably won't hear from me for a while if she doesn't yeah no and, and guys <laughs> obviously rem- remember my picks for the men's side it's obviously going to be rafa and uh, for the women's side, it's actually going to be a new player, a newcomer, wildcard, Rafaela Nadala. Uh, she's amazing. <laughs> and uh, I think I think she's going to really, really, really uh, hurt, hurt the competition. But no, I, on, in all seriousness, I think it's going to be either Igor or, or Simona to take to take the trophy on the, on the women's side. But we'll see. It, it's definitely interesting. And, you know, next week, hopefully we have some more news coming on about what's happening at Wimbledon. And we'll have a podcast about, you know, some more grass court results are going on. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for listening, obviously, to the podcast. We appreciate the support. If you do enjoy the podcast, we, we kindly ask you to, to leave a like on, on YouTube if you're watching this on YouTube. Comments, what your thoughts or anything like that. If you're listening to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other podcast platform, if you'd like to rate the podcast, give us your opinion. That really helps us, you know, sort of expand our reach and get new fans. Um, but yeah, other than that, follow us on Instagram, DM us. We appreciate the support, guys, and we'll see you next week. Yep. Take care, guys. See you next week.